Many people believe that we are in a time of crisis today. Well, you'll notice that we're always in a crisis. Every generation has been in a crisis. Every one of these dispensations was a crisis. The children of Israel down in Egypt, that was a crisis. When Adam and Eve went in the garden, and as soon as they ate the fruit, there was a crisis. And when you talk about the Tower of Babel, that was a time of crisis. And you talk about the flood, that was a crisis. Every generation has crisis. And sometimes they're generated, and sometimes it's just happened because of the nature of man. We always do the things that we're not supposed to do, and we create crises in our life. And sometimes in your own life, without somebody else's manipulation of any kind, you and I create some of our own crises that we have because we fail to do this, or we fail to do that, or we fail to do this, and we have crises that happens in our life. And sometimes we deserve what happens to us. But the Lord has told us that there's things that are going to happen because God is God and He writes it down in advance. I'm just thankful that we have a Bible where God has laid it out and told us what not only has happened because we weren't there, but we know what's happened because He told us and what is going to take place even in the future. Now, we know that in the book of Corinthians in chapter 2 and verse 9 it says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. So there's things that we haven't seen. We don't even understand all that God has for us. In the very beginning, you have the eternity past of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We weren't there. In the book of Genesis, when it talks about the creation, we weren't there. We didn't see that. A lot of the things are invisible to us. When we talk about the Fallen angels, or we talk about Sheol or Hades, the great Goth, the place of torment, the place of paradise, the place called Gehenna, the final lake of fire, and the bottomless pit, the abyss. All those things are things that we have never seen. But we take it by faith that it is real. When you talk about the church in paradise, well, we're not there. We don't see that. It talks about the judgment seat of Christ. We're not there. And, and we don't see that. We know these things are true only because we take it by faith that it is true. Why? Because it's found in the Bible. And the thing is, after the judgment seat of Christ, there is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, we don't see that. We haven't seen that. But we will see that, and we will be part of it. Where we'll eat as much as you want and don't have to count calories. You're going to have a thousand years to lose the weight. When you come back to the earth, we haven't seen the thousand years that's coming upon the earth. We have never seen yet this earth that we're living on right now exploding and being renovated by fire. We haven't seen the new heavens and the new earth. We haven't seen that. We have not seen the great white throne judgment. We haven't seen it. We have not seen the holy city that's 1,500 miles high and long and wide. We've never seen it. There's so much that we take by faith. Because God says so. There are things that God has revealed to us that we can check with history, with mankind, see what's going on in the world. But there is an invisible world that's going on at the same time. Way back there in the very beginning, we have where Satan, who at one time was a, a glowing archangel of God that uh, was beautiful and 
Anyway, he messed up. He got too big for his britches. If he wore britches, I don't know. But anyway, he had a problem with God, and he wanted to be like the Most High. And so he took that very same lie and offered it to Adam and Eve. You can be like God. You can be, you make the decisions. You be in charge of your own life. You can determine what's good and what's bad. You can do this. And yeah, buddy, didn't they do it? And the Bible says that there was a crisis in the garden. And there have been crises all along, and you and I will face them. When it comes to the world today, we often wonder, what are we supposed to be like when we see all the things that are going on with the nation of Israel, with Iran, Iraq, and the present administration not taking the steps that we believe, or most people believe, that would be for the security of our own freedom in America? There's so much that we don't understand. And so, therefore, many people are worried about the future, worried about what's going to happen in this country and into the economy and to your savings and to your pensions and to your... And there's newsletters you get all the time about the banks are going to close and you're going to be left out and they're going to change the cash and you can't use the money. And there's no end to the fear. And the world is trying to manipulate somehow, creating a greater crisis so that they can make money off of you. Didn't you hear that gold was supposed to go over $2,000 an ounce by the end of the year? That was good for the people that were selling gold. But it didn't happen. You remember Y2K? I mean, that was it. And it never happened. And I have gotten emails from people that are warning me, this is happening, this is going to happen next week, and blah, blah, blah. And it never happens. Now, we live in a day of crisis. We cannot always figure all of it out, but I don't believe that God's people are supposed to live their life in total fear of a crisis every time they turn around. We know this. We all know sooner or later we're going to die. And the thing is, is where are you going to spend eternity? I believe that is more important. And if that is important, and it is, then we need to get the gospel out. And if we're doing that, the most important thing that anybody can do after they trust Christ as Savior, serve the Lord, because when we leave this world, only what we have in heaven is going to be worth it all. So we should serve the Lord with all our heart while we can, wherever we are, regardless of what's going on. Because the crisis that we have today may not be the crisis that we have in two weeks or next week. But there's always going to be one because we live in a sinful world. The devil is real. Now, back there, Satan lied, and the prince of the power of the air, and when you study the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, it says that Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, is talking about us. It's talking about people that are being manipulated by the devil, but you can't see the devil. It's not your wife, and it's not your mother-in-law. But the devil is real. And the Bible says that he has done a lot of damage. He works behind the scenes. Now, we know that things are going to take place. But I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel 38. This is a battle that has not yet taken place. It's mentioned in the Word of God, and I believe that it is a direct reference to the nation of Russia. 
that Russia, north of Israel, is going to come down. And I want you to see this. And he makes this statement here in verse 2. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. Now the word Gog, we refer to the prince and Magog to the land. And it talks about two places that's north of Israel, Meshach and Tubalsk, which many believe to be Moscow and Tubalsk anyway. He says in verse 3, And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thy army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, and blah, 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 blah. Down in verse 5, And look who the allies are that's going to be of Russia. And the allies is Persia, which is Iraq and Iran, Ethiopia and Libya. All of these today are of the religion of Islam, and they are going to side, I believe, with Russia. Now, there's a lot of little things that has to take place. But you and I know, somewhere along the line, whoever is this last one world government, they have to make a peace treaty with Israel. Because the Bible says there will be a peace treaty made with Israel, and that's the seven-year tribulation period. Because the Antichrist, the head of this last world government, will go into the temple in Jerusalem and claim himself that he is God. And the last three and a half years of the seven years is called the Great Tribulation. And the Bible says there's never been a time like that upon the face of the earth. So this is what is ahead of us. Does anyone in here have an idea? Where are we on this little time schedule? You got one in your hand. Where are we on this timetable? Right now, at this point in time, where are we? We're close to the rapture. Now, we have, for example, I use the King James, and of course I've been using the old Schofield reference for, you know, 55 years since I've known the Lord. And the reason is because that's what I got started on, and I liked it, and I use it. Hank Lindstrom used it. A lot of good people used it. And sometimes we have, you know, questions about, because I was mentioned even in Sunday school, uh, people telling me that, you know, you ought not use the King James Old Schofield Reference Bible. But it's amazing that a lot of great people have used it. And the reason some people don't like it is because we believe in dispensations as we teach it because it's in the Bible. Well, Old Schofield has that laid out pretty much the same way also. We believe it, not because Schofield says it, but we believe it because it's in the Bible. And therefore, we don't change because of that. So there's people who don't like the doctrine that not the book. But I've already studied the doctrine, and I like the book. I've said this before. If the Old Schofield Reference Bible was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. Now, some of y'all are going to say, okay. But you'll notice it says in verse 8, After many days thou shalt be visited in the latter years, and come against the mountains of Israel. This is what is going to take place. Now, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12. The Bible tells us that in the future, this is what is going to take place. 
And you'll notice there in verse 2, where it says in chapter 12, Zechariah, it's on page 976, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And it says, this is what's going to take place. It will be a burdensome stone to everyone. See then verse 3? And that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And if there's one hot spot on the face of the earth today, it just happens to be Israel. When you study the Bible and you see what's going on in the world, we are living at a very exciting time. I'm not worried about what's going on. I don't worry about the Muslim nations. I don't worry about the United Nations. I, I don't worry about what our Congress does. I'm concerned about a lot of things, but I don't live in fear of what they do. I live in joy of what I know God's going to do. Because I know that regardless of what's going on in the world, sooner or later I'm leaving it. Sooner or later my kids are leaving this world. My grandkids are going to leave this world. I want to make sure they trusted Christ as Savior. I believe that's the most important thing. I want them to be part of the new one, not so much as the old one, because I don't want to spend my life trying to change this world when I know that this world can't be changed without Christ. So therefore, I've only got one life to live. I don't get a rerun or an instant replay. It's just one time through. Therefore, I want to take an in Involve myself in that which I believe is the most important thing that I could ever do with my life. And that's what I'm doing with my life. And therefore, I'm thankful uh, we got Jesse now that's putting some of our messages up on YouTube. And we're getting people from all over that have trusted Christ as Savior just by listening to the messages. And it lets us know what sermon they listen to when they trusted Christ as Savior. I love it. But we're only beginning that. I would rather try to keep seeing what we can do as far as winning people to Christ because the day will come when we can't do what God left us here to do. He didn't put me here to change the world, but He did put me here to change people's destinies. I can't change this world. Therefore, I'm interested in getting people whose lives will be changed as an individual because they know Christ is their Savior. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not an American and that I'm against America. No, I believe we got dual citizenship. But I'm a citizen of heaven, too. But I'm also a citizen of America. And therefore, because I believe that, I don't fear this. I know what's coming, and I don't like some of the things I see. I would think, I'd love to be president for, give me about six months. is about all I need. But I'd have to be a dictator in order to do what I want to get done. And that ain't going to happen. So therefore, I'll just keep on preaching the book. But we know that Jerusalem will be a troublesome stone a hot potato to all the nations of the world, and that's what's going on. Now look in verse 10. So that we know and understand that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is Jehovah, and this is in the Old Testament. This is Jehovah, God Himself. And it says in verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and a supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. The Lord God Himself is coming into the world. And this was written almost 500 years before Christ came and paid for our sins. And yet in the Old Testament, it's telling you that the one, the Lord Himself, Jehovah, is the one that's being pierced. Also, while you're right here in the book of uh, Zechariah, look here in chapter 13. Look in chapter 13 and notice in verse 6. 
that when he comes back, remember, to study the Old Testament, you take out the church age. When you study the Old Testament, you go up to Christ and then just block all this out and go here and study the rest of it. And you'll, it, things will fit. But if you don't, it won't. The church age is like a parenthetical expression in a sentence. You can take it out without hurting the flow of the sentence. Now look what he says here in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now, this is when he comes back in power and great glory. This is the revelation. See, they saw the revelation of Christ in the Old Testament, but they did not see the rapture in the Old Testament. There's types, but the revelation of Christ, even Enoch reported about Christ coming with ten thousands of his saints. But that was before the flood, and that's mentioned in the book of Jude about what he understood. So they preached this in the Old Testament, but they didn't teach the church age. This was because they rejected the king and crucified him, so the king, dumb, was moved out into the future. So the seven-year tribulation period also was moved out into the future. But one of these days, the church age will be taken out, and the other will be moved right against it, and it just flows right into it. If you understand that in prophecy, you can, you can understand so much more of the scriptures. You'll know how to hang things. If you don't, it'll hang you. Look what he says here in verse 1 of chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord, L-O-R-D, cometh. In verse 2, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, the house rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity. The residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. The Bible says that God is going to take all these nations and turn them against Israel. And so the goal of the nations is to annihilate Israel. The goal is not to stand with Israel, help Israel, it's to annihilate Israel. That will be their main goal. And it will happen if God does not intervene. Because Israel rejected God, rejected Christ, rejected the plan that God has for them to be the light to the world, to be the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Therefore they were dispersed because of the fall of the temple and scattered upon the face of the earth. 2,000 years they were out of the land. But in May the 14th, 1948, they became a nation again. And they're back in the land, but they're back in unbelief. And Israel still does not have a king. So from the time of Babylon, which was under Nebuchadnezzar, when Israel no longer had a king, then you had the Medes and the Persians, Israel still without a king. Then the Alexandrian Empire, Israel is still without a king. During the time of Rome, still without a king. During the church age, still without a king. During the tribulation period, still without a king. And Israel will have no king until the king comes back. Christ is the king. And there'll be no peace upon this earth without the prince of peace. When he comes back, he's going to take care of everything. Mankind our present administration, all the Republicans, all the Democrats, all put together, all Americans, all put together, is not going to bring a utopia upon this earth. It's not going to happen. It's impossible to happen. 
because man is only working with an old sinful nature. He's not working with the power of God to change people's lives. Therefore, it cannot be, and it will never be. There is no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. There is no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. It can't happen. It's impossible. So, the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 14, the Lord's coming back. And He's going to gather all the nations of the earth together. And He's going to put them in a great big old bowl. And He's going to pull in these grape vines. Then He's going to stomp these grapes with His feet. And the blood's going to run as high as a horse's bridle. That's going to take place at a place called Armageddon. I have been there a few times. I've watched this big valley. And I've stood there and I've studied it. And I think, how deep is this blood going to be? And I can't believe it because it's a huge valley. It's a big plain. But you'll notice this. Look in verse 6. In the Old Testament, talking about Jesus coming back and His feet touch upon the Mount of Olives. Remember, He's already been pierced. Chapter 12 and verse 10, He's already been pierced. Chapter 13 and verse 6, He's already been pierced in His hands and His feet. That's why, because He came the first time. Remember the first time He came, He came as a lamb and was slaughtered, nailed to a cross. The second time He comes back, the Bible says He comes back in power and great glory, and God is going to take judgment upon the earth. These nations are going to come against Israel. It forces Israel to realize without Jehovah they have no hope, and they will be born as in a day in chapter 7 of the book of Romans. They will see him. Where did you get those wounds? I got them the first time I came in the house of my friends. They're the ones that did this to me. And Jesus Christ, they are going to believe on him. And God's going to take that little old bitty nation. And they're going to believe on the Lord. But look what he says here in verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. Half of the mountain removed toward the north and half toward the south, and there will be a very great valley and so forth in this place. Now, the Lord is going to do some great things. And He says that there's going to be a great valley, and there's going to be the water that's come from the Mediterranean all the way down into the dead sea and a river and it's going to have life in it and people are going to sit on the banks and go fishing. You said, is that really in the Bible? No, I made it all up. No, it's in the Bible. But now, look down there in verse 12. In verse 12 of this same chapter where it says, And this shall be the play wherewith God will smite all nations that have come against Jerusalem in the battle. And that while they stand upon their feet, their eyes shall consume away in their holes and their flesh will consume away off their bones. I wonder what kind of a battle that could be where the flesh just falls right off your bones. Now, the Bible describes, I believe there's going to be a time coming where some nut is going to push a button and something's going to happen. It wouldn't surprise me before we get out of here that we don't see a mushroom cloud over some city. I have an idea how I could solve a few of these world problems if I was the president, but I'm not. But I have a couple of ideas. But so... I can't change those things. So I just believe the most important thing is, is though we know it, and we know what's going to take place, we ought to be busy doing what God wants us to do. I had a man by the name of John Granbush. He ran for governor in Colorado. He was a Christian science. 
And we're sitting in a restaurant one day, and he wanted me to get the people from the church and college, all that, to vote for this man. And anyway, i sitting there listening to him. He says, one thing I can't stand, and I'm just sitting there listening, is these people that believe in the rapture. He says, they believe in the rapture, and they won't get involved in trying to preserve our country. I says, um, I believe in the rapture. And I believe in preserve our country as best we possibly can. He said, well, maybe you're just different than the rest of them. He says, we got to talk about his religion. He was a Christian science. Christian science, you know, there is no sin. And there is, there's no death. There, there's no sickness. So I find out later he was in the hospital. I went to see him. I said, I remember that conversation we had. I said, what are you doing here? He says, I think I'm sick. I said, you just think you're sick, but you're not really sick. No, I just think I'm sick. It wasn't long after that he thought he was dead. <laughs> he was dead. He died. Denial doesn't solve the problem. There is truth. <laughs> there is a lie. And people believe a lie. And that's what he says in the Second Corinthians in chapter 2, is that people will not believe the truth. Therefore, God will send them strong delusions that they may believe a lie. That they all might be damned who would not believe the truth of the gospel. They wouldn't believe it. You can't make people believe it. But understand this. Look in verse 9. He says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and His name one. There's only one true and living God. I've had somebody say, you mean, don't you have respect for other people's religious beliefs? No. Because God doesn't. God says all the religions of the world are wrong. If it's not His, it's wrong. If it isn't true Christianity, it's wrong. Now, what am I supposed to do? Say, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's wrong. It's either true or it's a lie. I don't know how to compromise. I've tried to figure out how can I compromise without being so strong and, you know, dogmatic, you know. But I don't know how to compromise. I don't know, what, what do you do? If this is the truth, anything <laughs> don't come up to it, it's wrong. People say, yeah, you just need to learn how to be a good politician. That's where you can step on somebody's shoes and tell them where to go without hurting their feelings. I don't know how to do that. So that when you come to church, I try to be as sweet and nice as I can. You ought to see me if I was really mean and ugly. You're seeing my good side. This is the way I, this is my, my put on Christian, you know. Ain't I nice? See how nice I am? But I have beliefs. I have a core belief that I don't want to move for nobody. 